want to invite your attention back to the Psalms this evening, Psalm 36. And uh, we're almost done with this 12-part series on loving God. And this is number 11. If If I could have two young ladies, I don't know, would there perhaps be two young ladies that would help me pass these papers out? Leah and Katie, I'll call you back. Last week we spoke about seeking our happiness in God. Seeking our happiness in God. Today we want to talk a little bit more about this idea and about finding finding our happiness in God. Katie, turn Katie, turn around, turn around, look at there you go, Brother James, right in the window. We were made to love God. We were made for relationship. God, God himself exists in community. We know this, right? We call this the doctrine of the Trinity. God is love. In other words, love is an essential part of God's nature, of God's character, his attributes, and God is eternal. So that means his attributes are eternal. So, so a question that that theologians have wrestled with at times is if God is love and that is part of his essential nature and uh, uh, God is eternal, uh, his nature is eternal, he does not change, then who was God loving before there were people, before he created us? Well, the answer is that God exists in community. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And uh, there is so, so much richness. Uh, I learned a new word uh, in the last couple of weeks, and I I think it is perichoresis, something like that. Do you all know that word, John and Pam? It, it, It has to do, it's one of these words that you won't read anywhere else. Brother James, you're reading the book that I got that out of. Am I saying it right, do you think? Perichoresis. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm saying it quite right, but it has to do, it's, it is a, it is a, it has to do with the doctrine of the Trinity. It's not, it's not the paraclete. Yeah. Not, I'm not talking about that, that word that refers to the comforter, parak- parakletos or paraclete. Um, this is a different word. But it has to do with the indwelling of God within himself. God the Father, and from God the Father proceeds God the Son, and from God the Son proceeds God the Spirit. And it is an eternal circle. I'll, I'll look that word up, and I'll make sure I've got it right uh, next time. But that's how God can be defined as love, being part of his, his essential nature, is that he exists within himself. God is one, but he is also three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God, in eternity past, was in loving communion and fellowship with the Son and with the Spirit, and the Son in loving fellowship with the Father 
and with the Spirit, and the Spirit in loving fellowship with the Father and the Son. And then God created man, and he brought us into being, to be in relationship with himself, to love God. So as we have been doing, join me again in saying uh, these words, the definition uh, of what it is to love God. To love God is to self-sacrificially commit oneself to delight in Him, to rejoice in serving Him, to desire continually to please Him, to seek one's happiness in Him, and to thirst day and night for a fuller enjoyment of Him. As I mentioned a moment ago, last time we spoke of seeking our happiness in Him, and many who have gone before us have left the example in their lives and in their teaching that the pursuit of happiness is a legitimate pursuit, even for the Christian. And I want to continue talking to you along these lines this evening uh, as we speak again using as our text these words from Psalm 36, verse 7 through 9. And we will refer to these words again. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. I remember reading a story about a little girl that had gone to visit her aunt, and her aunt was a very religious lady, and she was a very sober and somber religious lady, one of these kinds of, of religious people that almost really don't believe in laughing or smiling or having a good time, you know, one of those kinds. And uh, as she was kind of out exploring around her, uh, the, the, the home, the area where her aunt lived, she ran across an old mule, and she thought she would go and and pat the old mule and interact a little bit. And she noticed the old mule's face, how the face was so long and, and sad looking and drawn. And, and she patted the old mule and said, that's all right, old mule, my aunt has religion too. You know, there, is, there has been this association with holy living, pious living that is associated with, with uh, rough clothing, long faces, uh, sober, sober living. So, now, you don't understand what I'm saying, but I, I believe in sober living, as in sobriety. <laughs> but I mean somber, you know, we've got to be serious and, you know, frown, we you know, we're pious people, we're very religious, pious people. But really, we ought to be happy and smiling and, and let the world know, as I've been praying, and, and I've been praying for myself, I've told you I have a tendency, it, it's not natural to my face to smile a lot, and so I have to remind myself to smile, and uh, that's okay. It's, it's kind of part of my temperament, and I, I work on that. 
But the world ought to be able to see in us something attractive and winsome. If we found the pearl of great price, if we found the, the treasure hidden in the field, there, you know, there ought to be something about our lives that they can look at and see as desirable. Amen. Now, happiness, we know, is, is not just getting what we want. Most people think that happiness is uh, getting what you want. You know, happiness is a concept that has sadly been very twisted by the world and by the devil, I believe. Like most of the good things that God has given us to enjoy in the right way and at the right times, our enemy, the, the devil, takes those things and tries to twist them, and that's really the definition of sin. Sin just comes about when we try to satisfy God-given desires and God-given instincts, either at the wrong time or in the wrong way. Common thinking says that happiness depends on circumstances or what happens to you. So the world infected by the devil's thinking does everything possible to manufacture pleasant circumstances for themselves. I remember working in, in uh, the uh, secular work environment and hearing, hearing people talk about having gone out and, you know, partied so much and, and drank so much that, that they ended up in, in, forgive the crassness of this statement, but just to get you to understand that, you know, hearing people talk about puking their guts out because they'd partied and drunk so much and drank so hard and, and oh, but the, what a good time they had. Wow. Yeah, they don't remember it. They don't remember it. I, I heard one, well, I won't go there. <laughs> um, but they simply try, because of this understanding that happiness is based on circumstances, they try to manufacture pleasant circumstances for themselves. And life turns into one continuous pursuit of pleasure and distraction. It simply turns into self-seeking hedonism. But friends, as we saw last time, we all understand that real happiness is found in the attainment of what God considers good. And some in the world could hardly believe um, yeah, I'm going to go here. Um, I was I had just started in the secular work environment just before I uh, got married. And the the idea that someone would save themselves for marriage, was so foreign that, and, and you would, you know, if it goes through your mind, why would something like that come up? Well, it's a secular work environment. That's why it comes up. These people talk about all kinds of things that they should not talk about. And um, that concept was just so foreign. But friends, there is a there is something about doing things God's way that allows the puzzle pieces of life to fall into place in such a way that we are able to have a happy and a satisfied life. 
The people in the world look at us as Christians and think that we are bound by, by restriction and by rules and, and all of these things and say, oh, can you really, you know, can you really have a happy life? You know, how, how could you have a good time without going out and drinking and getting drunk and shooting up and whatever else they're trying to do to have a good time? How could you have a good time without all of that? It's just knowing Jesus and good fellowship with Christian brothers and sisters and sometimes a, a Christian family and, and coming together. I don't know. I don't really find anything that I enjoy better than spending time with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Amen. And it's kind of, it goes back to that idea of flying. I believe I used the illustration last week or maybe the week before that you, that big jumbo jet or airplane, even the small airplanes, I look at and wonder how in the world can they get off the ground. But they do because they conform to certain laws of nature and science and because of that, because they conform to those laws, it enables them to fly. And you and I are no different in our own lives. God has, has ordained that our lives ought to be lived in a certain way and in a certain manner. And when our lives conform to those laws, figuratively speaking, it enables us to fly. It enables us to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. Happiness is a God-intended quest. We, we began talking about this a little bit last week to continue. It's a God-intended quest. I want you to notice from the Scriptures what we have, what we see over and over again as a motivation for obedience. If you go to your Old Testament, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, Deuteronomy chapter 5, and verse 16, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16 says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you. And that it may go well with you. Anybody else have Deuteronomy 5? If you have it, can you read verse 33? you have it, read verse 33, right? Almost the last verse. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Amen. Good. Another verse, not from Deuteronomy, but from the Psalms. Psalms 128 and verse 1. Psalms 128. And verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. Now, at least two of these verses said, had, a, had a phrase that was almost identical that repeated. What phrase was that? Somebody just call it out. That it may go well with you, yes. In Psalm 128, the psalmist uses the word blessed. Blessed is everyone. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how that is a word that, that describes an enviable happiness. An enviable happiness. You see, friends, through all of these verses, 
where we are receiving the commands of God and where God's ways, walking in God's ways is, is recommended to us, God is also appealing to our natural inborn desires for a good life, for things to go well. He's appealing to that instinct within us. And, and really, we could sum it up by saying God is appealing to our natural desire for happiness, to have a good life, to have a happy life. And so God gives us his commandments. And he says these are specifically for the purpose that it may go well with you. In fact, there's another verse. I don't have it on the screen, but Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 13 there's a verse that expressly says why God gave the commandments. And it says this, To keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, for your good. For your good. God does for us and provides for us what is in our best interests. Friends, this tells us that God wants us to be satisfied and to have good lives. God wants us to be happy. Notice also from Scripture, not only the motivation for obedience that is given directly from God, we are, we are directed to obey the commandments, motivated by this desire for a good life, but also notice God's desire to satisfy. God's desire to satisfy. All of these verses are in the Psalms, I believe, so uh, the first one is Psalm 81, Psalm 81, verse 13 through 16. God, speaking through the psalmist, says this, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. And he says, If they would, I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. God desires within himself to satisfy his people and to give us good things. Notice another verse in Psalms, Psalm 91. I was wrong. There's one verse that's not in the Psalms. Psalm 91, though, verse 16. While we're reading this one, somebody turn to Isaiah 58. Somebody turn to Isaiah 58. But Psalm 91, verse 16, says, With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God desires to satisfy his people. Another uh, couple of verses, Isaiah chapter 58 and verses 10 through 11. Anybody have that? If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. One more, yeah, verse 11. Continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a water garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Isn't that good? That's what God wants for you. 
That's what God wants for me, that our lives would be like a spring of water that does not fail or dry up in drought season. I remember when I was just a young boy, my, my cousin and I were out playing around behind my grandparents' yard, and between my, my, where my grandparents lived in our house, where we lived, there was uh, some, some wooded area and some open fields, things of that nature, and we were playing, and one day we ran across this place where there was water just squirting out of the ground, just, just like a, looked like a water spout, a sprinkler. And I was all excited, and my cousin was all excited. We thought we had found a spring, a, a, a well. It was just springing up. What it really was, was a, a, a tractor or something had driven through there, and there was a water line that was buried too close to the surface and had made a hole in that. And it, the water was coming out and uh, just spontaneously. But it was exciting to see. Kids love water sprinklers. My kids love water sprinklers. They... They, when it's hot, they get the water hose hooked up to the well water and turn the sprinkler on. And, and if we w- try to water the grass, they, it, it ends up watering them. You know, they just, there's something that's attractive about that, something that's desirable. And God desires to satisfy his people. God wants us to have a good life according to his definition of a good life. You see, God has designed us so, now I want you to hear this, God has designed us so that our good and His glory are never in conflict. Our good and God's glory are never in conflict. This is why we ought to seek and find our happiness in Him. In fact, a writer, now he's, he's a Calvinist writer, I'll tell you that, but he, has, he does have some good things to say. A man named John Piper, he said this, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And I believe that. I believe that is true, that, that when we are satisfied in God, we're happy in Jesus, that God is honored, God is, is glorified. Well, let's take a look for a few minutes at some of those who have gone before us and what this looked like in their lives. Notice, first of all, Moses. We read these words in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 27. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses was in pursuit of a good life. He was in pursuit of happiness. Now, Moses had a lot of difficulty, a lot of trouble in his life. But what this, this speaks of a reward that Moses was looking for. What reward was Moses looking for? Yes, the promised land, Canaan land. And he said, there's something better on the other side of this wilderness. There's something better than Egypt and bondage and slavery. And he endured. What, what was it that helped him to endure? What kept him going when the going got tough, so to speak? Anybody? Any thoughts? Sure, God helped him. 
Yes, he saw something ahead. That verse 27 says, He endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. It is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And, and Moses, though, though sadly, because of his own actions, he never went into the promised land, he endured, he, he served God faithfully, because he saw the promise. He saw what was coming. Let's look at another one, King David, old King David. This takes us back to our, to our text from Psalms 36. Let's look at these verses just a little bit more closely. Psalms 36, 7 through 9. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. I don't know about you, but when I read that, the imagery, the the picture I don't know, maybe not everybody sees pictures in their mind when they read like I do, but when I read, I see pictures in my mind, even when I'm not reading a story. And the, the pictures that this evokes in my mind, they're just pictures of abundance and plenteousness, and there's no, no shortage and no lack. And to think that it is something that God wants to give to us. You see, David knew that God was supposed to be the source of all his happiness, the, the word here from verse 8, it says, They feast on the abundance of your house. So the New King James Version uses the word fullness. But I like the word that the Old King James Version uses. Does anybody know the word the Old King James Version uses there? It's fatness. They feast on fatness. Now, fat, we, most of us, it's something we want to avoid, but... But here it speaks of abundance and plenteousness. And, and you see, the fat of an animal was considered the very best part. And in sacrifices, it was the part that was always offered to God in sacrifice. And it, it's basically saying that God wants to fully satisfy us, for us to be fully satisfied in Him. And the next verse, to me, is even more astounding uh, or the next part of that verse, it says, you give them drink from the river of your delights. The river of your delights. And, and there is possibly a connection back to the Garden of Eden. The word Eden is the plural, or rather the singular form of this word translated delights. It's, it, uh, the Garden of Eden, it simply means Garden of Delights. Or Garden of Delight. This is the plural form of that word. And saying, God wants to delight us. Oh, friends, you know, we read in history about Ponce de Leon and how he spent his life and his fortune searching for the fountain of youth somewhere in Florida. I'm not sure I would have ever believed that it was in Florida. And, you know, according to the ancient legends about the fountain of youth or about the, uh, the, uh, Oh, what was it they called the, the cup of Christ? The Holy Grail, all of those, many of those legends kind of got connected. And the idea was if you could find that fountain of youth or if you could find the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ, that anybody that would drink from that would, would be perpetually young. 
and would never die. Well, Ponce de Leon never found it. And the reality is there is no such fountain. But friends, my Bible says there is a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of God. Jesus said that he could put the life of God in us by his spirit so that from our innermost being would flow rivers of living water. And friends, there's no better way to live, no better way to experience this life than with God's presence, his spirit indwelling us. He brings a satisfaction, a fullness that nothing else can give. Well, let's look at one more. The Apostle Paul we read about Paul and some of his experiences in different parts of our New Testament, but the verse I want to read is from Philippians chapter 4. You may already know what it says, verse, uh, Philippians 4 verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, this final passage brings us full circle, kind of back to where we started. We started with talking about happiness from the world's perspective being based on our circumstances, what happens to us. And if that's the case, then, friends, a lot of us are in trouble. A lot of us are, are in real trouble. But according to Paul, biblical happiness, though it certainly enjoys favorable circumstances, I, now I'll tell you this, I want to be biblically happy. And I hope also to be happy from circumstances as often as possible. Amen? Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. We all do. None of us want to go through difficulty or trouble or problems. But, and, and as I said, according to Paul, biblical happiness, though it enjoys favorable circumstances, it does not depend upon them. We can be happy in Jesus with much or with little. And we know, friends, the Bible does not call us to self-seeking hedonism, but it does call us to a pursuit of happiness that is centered on God. There may be times in our lives as Christians when seeking our happiness in God will involve self-denial. And let me tell you something, in case you haven't found out yet. Self-denial is not fun. And denial is more than just a river in Egypt. Is everybody awake? Okay. It's not always fun. It's not always pleasant to our, to our circumstances and to our physical, material bodies. In fact, there may be even times when, when following God and His way, when we are called on to suffer the will of God. You know, a lot of us, uh, kind of the overwhelming concept that we have in Christianity is this idea of, of the place of God's will being in the center of God's will. That's a place of happiness and joy and contentment. And, and I believe, big picture, that's true. But friends, there are times in life, and if you haven't experienced it yet, you probably will sometime. There are times when we are called on to suffer the will of God. And I can't fully explain what that means, and, 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 but if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. 
where God's will is hard. God's will is difficult. It goes against the grain of everything within you, but, but there is a principle within you that is stronger than your selfish human nature that trustfully has been crucified with Christ. There's a principle within you that says, oh, I want to please God. I want to do what God wants me to do more than anything in, the, in this world. And so I willingly lay down my life to suffer the will of God, if that's what the will of God means for me. That's what it meant for Jesus. But you see, friends, pain and sorrow and discomfort and trouble and all of these things are, are, are for the Christian, only temporary. They, they are just fleeting. They are momentary. That's what the Apostle Paul said. For our light afflictions, which are but for a moment. Friends, the trouble that you're in right now, it might seem like it's going to last forever. You might feel like you've been in it forever. I know because I've been there. There have been times when it just felt like, oh, I'm never going to get out. This is never going to end. It's never going to be over with. But when we think that way, we've got to remember we are thinking and looking at our circumstances from a worldly, humanistic perspective that says this life is all there is. We need to step back and focus our eyes on Jesus and fix our eyes on eternity and understand that these circumstances, these troubles are only temporary. And we must be like Jesus that the scripture tells us who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame because he knew that on the other side of the cross there was an empty grave. On the other side of the cross there's a crown. Praise his name. Friends, we can seek our happiness in God and we can find our happiness in God. Amen. Let's